Aren't you thankful to God for what He has done in our hearts and in our lives? Let's try that again. In a church, that shouldn't be hard to get a hearty amen to, but aren't you thankful to God for what He has done in our hearts and in our lives? As we come this morning, we celebrate the work that He has done. It's amazing. As we look around the world, we see people celebrate all kinds of things. We see people celebrate politicians and political parties. We see people celebrate their health, their wealth, and their prosperity. We see people celebrate even young 19 to 22-year-olds that have a pigskin filled with air running across chalk markers on the midst of a cattle field. But we celebrate most of all. Jesus Christ and the work of His redemption in our hearts and in our lives. As we come this morning, we understand that He has made us new. He has made us into a new creation. That indeed the gospel is a life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And it takes us from our old life of sin and shame to give us a new life of hope and righteousness in Him. Where once we were tempted to live yielded to the works of the flesh, now we are empowered by the Spirit of God living within us to live in the and farm the fruits of God's gracious garden, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Indeed, this is the power of God to give us a new life, a new heart, and a new start so that we might then go out and tell others. And we celebrate so often the things of this world. We see all the cars driving up and down the roads. Wasn't it amazing this week how many flags all of a sudden appeared on the windows of those cars going up and down Berkeley Boulevard? So we saw state flags and UNC flags, and, well, none of you have Georgia Tech flags, but that's okay. We saw people standing for the team and excited and celebrating the team that they support. But let me ask you this morning, do you celebrate Jesus Christ just as much? For we ought to celebrate the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand that those who have been transformed by His grace now are made to be ambassadors on His behalf, reaching out not just on behalf of a college, not just on behalf of an institution, not just on behalf of some worldly thing, but on behalf of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are reaching out and calling others to come and to follow Him. So we come this morning. We ought to understand our task as ambassadors. And understand that there are two questions that ought to be heavy on our heart. And ever present in our mind. First of all, if we are ambassadors, we must ask these questions. First of all, who does our Savior God desire to save? Who is it that God wants to save? But secondly, we ought to ask our question immediately upon it. How does He intend to get His message of salvation to the ends of the earth so that He might save those that He desires to save? Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to begin a study where we're going to walk through the Bible and see God redeeming the least likely people according to the world's situation and standards, according to what many within the religious strata might seem, might say were the least likely people for God to redeem, clean up, make new, and then send out to witness and to work on His behalf. We're going to see and celebrate the changed lives that we find within the text of the Bible. But as we begin to look at those stories we must first answer those 
pivotal questions that we asked just a moment ago. First of all, who is it that God wants to save? And we must answer it immediately. And it must grip our hearts. It must direct our lives. So who is it that God wants to save? Well, He wants to save sinners. That's who He wants to save. In fact, Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus Himself says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 19, verse 10, He also says, For the Son of Man did not, or the Son of Man came to seek and to save what? The lost. That which is, which is lost. And so we understand we serve a God who wants to save who? Sinners. Does there, is there a qualification on only sinners of this type or that type? Only sinners who are this bad or that bad? No. He wants to save sinners. And we understand that His goal, His way of accomplishing this task of, of saving sinners is to send you and I out to accomplish that task, to take redeemed sinners who have experienced His grace and His redemption, His reconciliation and peace, to send us out to the ends of the earth so that we might share that message with all other sinners. So we prepare to walk through the Bible and see some of the examples of those who are the least likely according to the church and according to the culture's standards, we need to start by reminding ourselves of the high calling that we have to be ambassadors on behalf of the gracious gospel of redemption told in the story of Jesus Christ. We need to be ambassadors and we need to mark it out, set it out in our mind that our greatest desire is to be useful saints, tools of the living God to share and to show the gospel to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It means to be one who speaks not on their own behalf, but on behalf of the sovereign who sends him. For those of us who have tasted and seen and known the grace of God and through the blood and through the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we now have a sovereign Lord who has sent us out to the ends of the earth to be his ambassador. And we do not speak on our own behalf, but we speak on our Creator's behalf. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. And that call is made ever so clear there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And so this morning, I invite you to take your Bible, open it there to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, and let's stand in honor of the reading of this, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 reads as follows. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, we know who we are. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We know who you are. You are a God of grace and of mercy 
who is seeking to save those who are lost. And Father, we come this morning admitting that we are sinful, that we are fallen, and that we are flawed, asking that you would lead us and guide us in this time, that you would show us our sin, show us your Savior, and Father, increasingly conform us to his image so that we might be useful servants in the midst of the work that you have in in this world. Lord, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. For your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we see in this passage that God has redeemed sinful men through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that those who have been reconciled by God's grace through faith may become messengers of reconciliation to others. That's what's going on in the midst of this passage. This passage is all about God redeeming and reconciling sinful man to himself and then cleaning us up, washing us off, and preparing to send us out so that we might be his voice to the ends of the earth, so that we might go out and compel others in the highways and byways of life to come in, and so that we might be his messengers, his ambassadors of reconciliation to others. Indeed, that is what Paul sees as his role and as the church's roles, that, that indeed, as ambassadors, we are to make known and proclaim the gospel facts, the promises, and, and continuously urge sinners to receive the reconciliation effected at the cross of Jesus Christ on Calvary, so that as we are declaring those messages, we will actually be Christ's messengers carrying his message to the lost and dying world. See, God has redeemed you and I. Not just so we could sit, soak, and sour. He redeemed you and I. Why? So that we could serve Him. So that we could be reconciled to Him. So that we could indeed further His kingdom in the midst of this world. We walk through today, we're going to see that the worker of reconciliation is God, that the work of reconciliation is redemption, and that the, the job, uh, that there is a job for those who have been reconciled, and that is to be ambassadors. Let's begin there in verse 18, and let's see the worker of reconciliation. Who is the worker of reconciliation? Let's try that one more time. Who is it that is the worker of reconciliation? It is God. Look at verse 18. Now, all these things are from who? From God. And so it naturally flows that everything that he's going to talk about comes from God. All of the benefits, all of the blessings, the new life, the new heart, the new start, everything is flowing from God. And it's important to remember this that Paul is in the context, in the midst of encouraging the church to live out gospel-centered lives in the midst of their community. He's calling them to celebrate with joy and great, great, uh, great rejoicing because they have been those who have received Christ. And therefore, in verses 1 through 10, they have received the hope of heaven. In verses 11 through 13, they are those who are living in reverence of God. In verses 14 and 15, they are those who are controlled by the love of God. In verses 16 and 17, they are those who God has formed and created into a new creature. 
And because of that, we're to have great joy, great rejoicing. There ought to be much celebration within the body of Christ because he has moved us, changed us and transformed us. And now we are no longer just sinners muddling our way through the midst of this world. We are saints moved by God to serve him and to serve him alone. He continues this pronouncement of praise for the total transformation that has taken place in his and in every Christian life. He makes sure that he confesses for us that all this is from God and God alone. Just in case we were tempted to misunderstand God's place, man's place, uh, or the source of salvation for any man, we must understand. Paul reminds us God has done everything for the sinner to be saved. Who is it that has done everything for the sinner to be saved? God. All these things are from God. Now, that's a problem for some of us sitting here today because some of us came in this morning thinking of ourselves as good, pious people. There were some of us who came in thinking of ourselves as religious. There were some of us who were tempted to say, you know what, I'm a good moral person. There are some of us sitting here today who are are tempted to put their destiny, weight their destiny, destiny on their own achievements and accolades. They want praise for who they are and what they have done. After all, I'm a regular church attender. I'm a regular Sunday school member. I attend on Wednesday nights. I give my tithes and offerings. I'm a, an important member of this church or the community of faith throughout the world. I'm, I'm an important person in the midst of the work of this world. Listen, you had it all lined up to give an answer to me or to any other person who would ask you this morning, why are you hopeful that you will go to heaven and you were convinced that the number one reason that God should accept you into his kingdom is because of who you are and what you have done, because of your accolades, because of your achievements. And yet Paul comes face to face and says, listen, not for a moment should you believe that, not for a moment should you try to stand on the shifting sands of your own service, not for for a moment, should you look to yourself for salvation? Because all of this is of God. We must understand our salvation, our reconciliation comes from God and from God alone. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul tells us about ourselves. He says this of ourselves. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Later in verse 12, he reminds us that at that time, we were separate from Christ, excluded from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That doesn't sound like a good place to be, does it? That doesn't sound like a place that I want to be. And yet for everyone who does not know Christ or name Christ, that's exactly where you are this morning. If you are here this morning and you're tempted to think you can be reconciled with God, accepted into His kingdom because of your achievements and your accolades, let me tell you very clearly that hell is paved with people that have thought they could earn their way to God. The pathway to hell is paved with people who thought they could achieve or accomplish enough in and of themselves to get themselves to heaven. But rather 
The Bible tells us we can't do it on our own, for it tells us there in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, that we exalt not in our own works. It says we exalt in God. We exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Notice we receive reconciliation. We don't make it for ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it is God who is rich in his mercy and love, who has now made us alive in Christ Jesus. In in chapter 2, verse 13 of Ephesians, it is the blood of Jesus that brings the far far ones off and near and even into the kingdom of God. And therefore, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we must understand there is nowhere in these verses, there is nowhere in the context of the Bible where the Bible ever puts it upon man or woman to work themselves to heaven. It is always not about what we do to get to God, but what God has done to get to us. That's the message. That's a life-changing, transforming message. Because every other religion tells us what we need to do to get to God. Christianity says, God loves you so much, He came to you. He has done everything to get to you. And so now we see that it is by God's grace, it is by His mercy and by His power that He restores that relationship that was broken there in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed and ate of the fruit. They violated God's commands. And guess what? Ever since then, every single one of us who have been human except for the Lord Jesus Christ, every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We have violated His commands. We have sinned against them. And so we have a broken broken relationship. But praise God that He has chosen to exercise a ministry of reconciliation by His grace and for His glory to the ends of the earth and to those sinners who would repent of their sin and place faith in Christ. God is a worker of reconciliation. God is a worker of reconciliation. But in verse 19, Paul goes on and he says, not only is the worker of reconciliation God, but the work of reconciliation is what? Redemption. It's redemption. It's the forgiveness of sins. Verse 19, he begins by, by saying, namely, what God has done to reconcile man to himself is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not Counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their transgressions against them. See, Paul wants to make sure that we know and understand just how a just, a holy, and a loving God can reconcile, can live with sinners in the midst of His kingdom. How in the world can a just, a holy, and a righteous God be reconciled to a vile, wicked, and wretched man like myself? How in the world can He be entertain sinners in the midst of His eternal glory? Preacher, I'm offended that you would ever call any person vile and wicked and wretched well, that's okay. Let me just take a moment and tell you why I make that statement. Let's peel back the layers of our lives and let's let the light of God's Word reflect off the mirror of God's Word into our hearts and lives and let's just see ourselves how God sees us at this moment. Let me ask you, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever told a lie? Deliberately deceived someone else for the purpose of making yourself or someone else look better? You ever even told a little white lie? 
What about stealing? Have you ever stolen anything, purposefully taken somebody else's possession so that you might use it as your own? You ever had a problem with wanting something that somebody else had so much so that it controlled your relationship to them, that it it, it divided you, it pulled you apart? Have you ever struggled with covetousness? Let me ask you, have you ever been given to gossip or to hatred? Have you ever given yourself over to uh, lusting or to anger? All of these things are called sin. All of them are sin within the Word of God. In James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, If you have broken one law, you have broken how much? The whole law of God. You have transgressed and are guilty of the entire law of God. And therefore, the penalty in the Word of God, it says, is death. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of those sin is what? Death. That's bad news. Because you and I know that if we answer all of those questions truthfully, we will have to answer that indeed we have transgressed God's law at some point, at some time. But notice also in the text that while you and I were busy damaging and destroying our relationship with God by being disobedient to His Word, while we were being guilty of trespasses against God, that He was in the midst of working out a plan to reconcile us to Himself. He had chosen in His love, in His mercy, and in His grace to forgive us, to redeem us, indeed, to to forgive and to redeem those that would repent of their sin and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's right, while man was busy making a mess of himself of his relationships and of his relationship with the just and holy and perfect living God God was working out his plan to forgive our sins and he was working it out in such a way that he would not have to count our sins against us but that he would count them against the work of his only begotten son Jesus Christ there on the cross of Calvary now understand When it says the sins of the world, this doesn't make us practicing universalists. For this this statement, the world does not mean that everybody is forgiven for their sins because Jesus has died on the cross, paid the penalty for everyone's sins, and then risen again in new life. This passage is speaking for of those who have repented of their sins, placed their faith in Christ, and therefore are walking with Him. We, if we took that word world to mean the entirety of the world, then what it would mean would be that we would eliminate the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of condemnation, and the doctrine of God's justice and judgment against sin. So what does this word world mean within the context of the passage? That God is forgiving those that believe by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Indeed, I believe that thought is tied to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where there are people from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation who are coming and assembling there at the throne of the living God to glorify Him and to worship Him forever in spirit and in truth. Thus, this passage does not infer that all men without exception are forgiven by Christ's death, but rather that all men without distinction are forgiven by repentance of their sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And so the call is for you and I to have our sin dealt with. See, God has two choices of how to deal with your sin and with my sin. Just two. Two choices. Either number one, He can count your sin 
against you? Or number two, he can count it against Jesus. What an amazing God that he would work out a situation by which you and I would not be held accountable, would not be held guilty of the sin that we commit. Indeed, what an amazing God that He would count our sin not against ourselves, but against our Savior, Jesus Christ. In this, we find the story of the prodigal son. We see there a demonstration of a father who loves unconditionally his offspring. In fact, he loves him so much with unmerited favor and grace that he accepts him and receives him back into his home. Once he has gone away, he has rejected, rebelled, and reviled his father. He's gone out and he's lived the prodigal life. But then he, re- he sees the error of his ways. He understands the love and the grace of his father. And he comes back and he pleads for it. And the father reaches out in love and grace and mercy. And he redeems his son. He brings him back, not simply as a servant, but as a true son of his kingdom. Son repents and return, repents of his sin and returns to the Father and the Father receives him back. What a gracious picture that is of our loving Heavenly Father. See, you and I want to hold everything over everyone that we can because then we have power over all those that we are connected to. But praise be to God. That while we were damaging and destroying the relationships with our relationship with him and with everyone else, he was seeking to reconcile us to himself by not counting our sins against us, but rather by forgiving us. How many marriages in our community would be touched and healed if we could learn to forgive our spouse just as we have been forgiven? How many homes would be bettered if our children could learn to forgive their brothers and sisters just as they have been forgiven in Christ Jesus? Listen, isn't it a wonderful message that God doesn't count our sins against us because He has reconciled us to Himself? Isn't it wonderful that God's work is a work of redemption and forgiveness? See, I shared with you the bad news. Bad news is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Bad news is the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And for you and I, when we walk by faith and when we turn away and repent of our sins, place our faith in Christ and walk with Him, He renews us and restores us. He redeems us, forgives us, and makes us new. Verses 18 through 20, we finally see that there is a job for those who have been reconciled. That this is not just a passing thing that we understand. That first of all, the work of, re- of reconciliation is God. The, the work of reconciliation re- is redemption. But then we have a job to do. There is a job for the reconciled. And that is to be an ambassador. To be one who proclaims that message of reconciliation and redemption to the ends of the earth. Notice that all along that passage... Paul has been telling us that as a result of all that God has done, He is now giving us something to do. Notice that order. God has done something for us, mainly the salvation of our souls and the transformation of our life. And now God gives us something to do in response in the grace that He has given to us. For there in verse 18, because God did everything to reconcile us to Himself, He has now given to us a ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, because 
God has forgiven us for sin, He has now committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now in verse 20, He just spells it out plainly for us that because of God's great grace, love and mercy in reconciling us to Himself, we are now ambassadors charged with the proclamation, with a commission to proclaim and appeal to others to be reconciled to Christ as well. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to Him. Let me ask you, when was the last time you saw your life in that light? That God was speaking through you. That God actually was engaging your spouse with the gospel through you. That God was actually engaging your children with the gospel through you. That God was engaging your co-workers with the gospel through you. That God was speaking through you to people, calling them to be reconciled. Why? Because they would look at your life and see you have been reconciled. See, God's plan for that message of redemption and reconciliation to get to spread across and permeate this lost and dying world is for you and I to be His witnesses, to go forth and to share His truth. Indeed, an ambassador is a messenger, a representative who does not speak on his own behalf, but speaks on behalf of the sovereign whom he represents, whom he serves. He's a dignitary that is charged with representing a government in the midst of the foreign land. An American, an American ambassador is still an American, but he is an American within the midst of a foreign land and his life is spent among people who have a different language who have different traditions who have different ways of life and yet he is still an ambassador from America and indeed the Christian life is always like that it is the same for we live in the midst of a world we take part in the midst of a work of the work workplace in the the world that we live in but we are no longer citizens of this kingdom we are citizens of God's kingdom, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And as an ambassador for God, we do not speak on our own behalf, but we are to speak the truth of God's word to each and every person that we meet. We are to share it boldly and vigilantly throughout the ends of the earth. Let me ask you this week, who is it that you can reach out to? Who is it that you can go and say, listen, I need to tell you something. I've been reconciled to Jesus Christ. I've got a new heart. I've got a new life. I've got a new And I want you to know how you can experience that as well. The children in your neighborhood. Which one of them needs to come to Awana this week so that they might hear the gospel? Which one of them needs to come to Sunday school next Sunday morning? Which one of them needs to come to church with you during the course of our services and worship with you so that they might see and hear? Which one needs to hear you personally express how God saved your soul so that, you, so that they then might be challenged to entrust Him with the same? Let me ask you, how concerned are you? That your friends, your family members, your co-workers, your classmates, that even some of our regular church attendees are not saved and do not know the Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. How concerned are you that those all around you do not 
know and understand this relationship of redemption and reconciliation that comes through Jesus Christ. How often do you reach out and and seek to share that message of reconciliation and to be an ambassador on God's behalf? Listen to me and listen to me well. Most of us would rather be comfortable than to complete the task of being an ambassador on behalf of Christ. We would rather say that we are Christian than actually live out what it means to be a Christian. We would rather sit, soak, and sour than to seek and save the lost. We would actually rather just be accepted by God, but never bother to be an ambassador for Him. Indeed, this is not an option, for we do not have the great suggestion. We have the great commission that tells us to go to all peoples in all lands and share the gospel with every one of them. Let me ask you, you okay with crossing the street, going to see your neighbor, and offering Jesus Christ and His redemption and reconciliation, then this week pray about it. Ask that God would open that door of opportunity and then pursue that that opportunity. And this week, pray which of your classmates, children, that you and youth, that you would be given the opportunity to share the gospel with. Pray that this week God would open doors for you with your co-workers so that you might share the gospel and minister to them and invite them to come and to receive reconciliation through Christ Jesus. But pastor, I don't know what to say. Well, if you don't know what to say, that's okay. Look at verse 21. Here's what you tell them. For he being God made him Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing proposition. That we being evil, wicked, wretched and vile. Sinning and turning away from God at every point along our way. That he would reach out and he would love us. With an unconditional love. Offering his own son to stand and take our place. This, uh, this passage is replete with the idea of imputation. To, so that simply means to put to one's account. Isn't it amazing that the God of this world, any of you guys, any of you guys in college or have students that are in college? Grandchildren that are in college? You know what that means? That means when they go and the card is almost empty and they slide it through and they call up mom or dad and say, hey, listen, I'm broke as a joke. I need some money. And all of a sudden the next week, there's cash that has been credited to their account that isn't even their own. God has done the same work for you and I in Christ Jesus. See, he made him who knew no sin. To suffer for our sin on the cross of Calvary so that we in him might receive and be made into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What an amazing God we serve. That's a gospel worth being excited about. That's a gospel worth celebrating. Listen, you want to put a little flag and fly it down Berkeley Boulevard celebrating your university team? You need to put something else on the marker of your life that flies everywhere you go in the midst of every conversation you're involved with that marks out that you know what? I am bought with a price. I am bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and I am willing to be an ambassador. I am willing to be his spokesman. I am willing to share the gospel each and everywhere I go, let me ask you this morning, are you willing to do that? Because this morning, 
We sang before I started, Jesus paid it all. When we come to the end of our service and we're going to sing again that Jesus has paid it all. He has paid once and for all time the penalty of sin that you and I owe if we will repent of our sins and place our faith in Him and ask Him to redeem and forgive us. This morning that offer of redemption and reconciliation is there for you. I want to ask, would you be willing to repent of your sin, to lay down your life, to surrender all, and to come and, and find forgiveness? through the cross, and through the work of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you now for this time. We thank you that though we didn't deserve to have forgiveness and redemption, reconciliation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Father, we thank you that you did not spare him, but you offered him up counting all of our sins against Him so that He might suffer and die that death on a cross that we deserve so that we then might receive redemption and reconciliation with You so that we might become sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, this morning, if there is someone here who does not know that or understand that, I pray that You would move them to repentance and faith, that they would indeed surrender their lives to You and ask that You would forgive their sins. And Father, give them a new heart, a new life, and a new start. Father, for those of us who are here today and we've known that, but we've slipped back into passive 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 ways of not sharing our, our, our story, not sharing the, our, the gospel. Lord, we pray that this morning you would convict us to take that message of Jesus paying it all to our friends, to our family, to our classmates, and to our co-workers. Father, that we would reach out and touch this community, this city, this county, this country, and this world by your grace and for your glory. Lord, lead us to be ambassadors witnesses for you in the midst of our time here in jesus name amen let's stand together and sing this beautiful song jesus paid it all and this morning if you